0: This morning we come to the end of our journey through the gospel of Mark. We come to the story of the resurrection of Jesus. Mark told the story very simply in just eight verses. Mark 16 verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you so very much for the power that raised Jesus from the grave. And God, I pray that that same power, the power of your Spirit, is at work in us right now. I pray that your power will work through me and bring forth this message. But God, I also, I pray that your power will be at work in our hearts and minds as we receive your word today. Be with us now, it's in your son's name we pray, amen. Today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, which along with the crucifixion are what we believe are the two most important events in all history. And yet the truth is, more and more people in our culture today are ridiculing what we believe as Christians. But let's face it. I mean, we don't have reason for meeting here today. We don't have a reason for singing praises to Jesus. We don't have a reason for following Him. We don't have a reason for believing in eternal life, if it were not, for the resurrection of Jesus. See, his resurrection is at the root of our faith and at the root of our message. But how do we know? How do we know that the resurrection of Jesus is true? Look at what Luke wrote, Acts 1, verse number 3. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. Note that word proved in that verse. The the word prove that's translated here means to, to give a sure sign or to give a positive proof. Jesus wanted to give his apostles a sure sign that he had risen from the dead. He wanted to give them a positive proof that he was actually alive. And I truly believe that Jesus also wants us to know for sure that his resurrection is true. That's why this morning we want to examine some of the biblical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Specifically, we want to look at three particular reasons why you and I can believe in the resurrection. Now, first of all, how else How else can you explain the empty tomb? The day after Jesus had died, the Jewish leaders remembered that he had predicted that he would raise from the dead. And so they went to Pilate and asked him to make Jesus' tomb secure. They didn't want the disciples coming and stealing Jesus' body and then telling everyone he had risen from the dead. And so Pilate ordered that Jesus' tomb was to be made secure. Matthew 27, verse 66. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. And yet on that first Easter morning, Jesus rose from the grave, leaving an empty tomb, behind. That's exactly what the woman found that morning as they went to the tomb. The stone had been rolled away and when they went in there was an angel dressed as a young man in white telling him that Jesus had risen from the dead. The tomb may have been secured and guarded but that didn't stop Jesus from rising from the dead. See, what the Jewish leaders and the Romans didn't understand was that no rock, no seal, no guard, no army could keep the tomb secure. No, nor could any power prevent the Son of Man from rising again. And so the empty tomb stands as one of the greatest evidences for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet, down through the ages, people have suggested many other alternative explanations to try to to explain away the empty tomb. One of those alternative explanations is that Jesus didn't die on the cross, but he only fainted and later revived in the coolness of the tomb. Now anyone, even having a limited understanding of the beating and crucifixion that Jesus endured, would know that that explanation is simply ridiculous. But but if it were true, how does Jesus, in his weakened and, and dehydrated condition, silently move this huge stone by himself and then sneak past the posted Roman guards who were literally guarding the tomb with their lives. And how does Jesus then appear to his disciples later that day and convince them that he had defeated death in such a horrible condition? People, that might make for good fiction, but it doesn't stand up to the fact that Jesus actually died on the cross. Remember the Roman soldiers were experts in crucifixion. They were experts in making sure that people died on the cross. Listen to their testimony in John 19:33 through 35. But when they came to Jesus and found he was already dead, they did not break his legs, instead one of the soldiers pierced Jesus sighed with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. Obviously, the Roman soldiers believed that Jesus was dead. But to make positive, they pierced his side bringing out a sudden flow of blood and water, indicating that Jesus' heart had been pierced. There was no doubt to those who were right there that Jesus was dead, and in Mark 15, it confirms that same truth. Look at verses 44 and 45. We read these verses last Sunday. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead, summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. While some people may suggest that Jesus didn't really die, the witness of the impartial Roman soldiers said that he died on the cross. Another, another alternative explanation to the empty tomb <coughs> is that the women and disciples went to the wrong tomb. Some through the years have suggested that the women in their sorrow went to the wrong tomb. And then, when they ran to the disciples and told them of Jesus' resurrection, the disciples also went to the wrong tomb. Again, this makes very little sense. If they did go to the wrong tomb, then why didn't the religious leaders, the Roman soldiers, just go to the right tomb and produce the body? Not to mention the fact in Mark 15, it tells us that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw exactly where Jesus was buried. It's in verses 46 and 47. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body and wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. And then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joses, saw where he was laid. These two women had been there at the cross. They had followed Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, as they carried the body of Jesus to the tomb. Because they wanted to know where where the body was laid, so that they could return later and anoint the body of Jesus. The women made no mistake that Easter morning. They knew where Jesus was buried. Another alternative explanation to the empty tomb is that the disciples stole the body. That was the very story that the Jewish leaders came up with to try to explain away the resurrection. Look at Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away when we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep, him and keep you out of trouble. And so the soldiers took the money, and did as they were instructed, and the story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. And you can still hear that same story circulated among some people, even some who would consider themselves scholars. But let me ask you how could the disciples have gotten past the Roman guard? that was armed. I mean, there would have been at least four soldiers guarding the tomb with their lives on the line. If they had fallen asleep or let someone break in and steal the body, they would have been executed. And then you have this large stone that had been sealed. How are they going to move this heavy stone out of the way without making any noise... That would alert the guards. It just doesn't seem possible that that the disciples or anyone else stole the body. And one more thing: if they had stolen the body of Jesus, then why were all of them willing to die as martyrs? As martyrs for what would have been a lie. I mean, if they stole the body, they knew that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. They knew he wasn't the the Messiah. Why would each of them go to a painful death for a lie? And besides, after Jesus' betrayal and crucifixion, I mean, the disciples, at least most of them, were a bunch of cowards. They were all, they have all run away in fear and hid themselves in the upper room. They certainly didn't have the courage to go and steal Jesus' body. See, there is no alternative explanation that explains away the empty tomb. Why can you believe in the resurrection? First, how else can you explain the empty tomb? And second, how else can you explain Jesus' appearances after his resurrection? Remember what Luke wrote at the beginning of Acts, we read it earlier, that Jesus appeared many times to his apostles to prove to them that he was actually alive. The apostle Paul lists some of those appearances in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 8. It says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Here Paul, lasts, here Paul lists six times that Jesus appeared to people after his resurrection. And, and on one of those occasions, he appeared to more than 500 people at the same time. And as it says here, most of them were still alive when the apostle wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. Plus, there are six other times reported in the Bible, including this passage in Mark, where Jesus appeared after he rose from the dead. These many appearances give us little doubt in the resurrection, and yet there are those who suggests that there is an alternative explanation to the resurrection appearances. And that is, these appearances of Jesus were only hallucinations. But people, that really can't explain away all the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. While it might be possible for some of Jesus' followers, who so wanted to believe in Jesus, that they could imagine him... (laughs) Having risen from the dead. People, it is impossible for 500 people to say, have the same illusion, the same hallucination at the same time. See, this explanation contradicts the very nature of hallucinations. Hallucinations and cues generally occur generally in people who are emotional and very imaginative. However, Jesus appeared to all sorts of people. Hallucinations are extremely individual. As I said a moment ago, groups don't have the same hallucination. And last of all, hallucinations are always in accordance with a person's will. Remember, the disciples had to be forced against their will to believe in the resurrection. Remember, Thomas actually had to see the nail prints in Jesus' hands and the hole in his side. (laughs) I mean, this was no hallucination. Thomas, who doubted the resurrection, saw the real Jesus raised from the dead, and that is just as true with all the other appearances. Now, why can you believe in the resurrection? First, how else can you explain the empty tomb? Second, how else can you explain Jesus' appearances after his resurrection? And third, how else can you explain the changed lives of the apostles and others. Remember in our study through Mark how Peter in fear denied the Lord Jesus three times the night of his arrest. He denied knowing everything, anything about what was going on. He denied about being one of his disciples and last he denied even knowing Jesus. Jesus. People, this is not the same Peter that some 50 days later stood before tens of thousands on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem and declared Jesus to be both Lord and Christ. This is not the same Peter who spoke up for Christ along with the other disciples in the book of Acts even in the face of persecution. Something obviously happened to Peter and the other apostles. They were actually convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead and it had totally changed their lives. As a matter of fact, church history records that all 12 of the disciples were killed for their faith in Jesus. People they wouldn't have been willing to die for what they knew was a lie. And one more quick example is, of course, A man named Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. Though he once persecuted the church. Remember how Saul was going up to the city of Damascus to arrest Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. But there on that journey, he met Jesus, the risen Jesus, face to face. And it totally changed his life. Acts 9 verses 20 and 21 tell us this. At once he began, this is Paul, Saul, began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Now what made the difference in Saul's life? he had come face to face with the resurrected Jesus and that made all the difference and that same thing has been true for both believers and skeptic down through the century when a person becomes convinced that Jesus rose from the dead from the dead their whole lives are changed many years ago now a young british lawyer named frank morrison set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. But instead of disproving it, he wrote a book entitled, Who Moved the Stone in Support of the Resurrection? And here is the, is the concluding uh, evidence. He says, Indeed, taking all the evidence together, it is not too much to say that there is no historical incident better or more, ver, more more better supported than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning, you and I can believe in the resurrection. Why? <laughs> How else can you explain the empty tomb? How else can you explain Jesus' appearances after his resurrection? And how else can you explain the changed lives of the apostles and others? Folk, that brings us to our practical application this morning. What do we need to do as a result of this morning's message? Number one. Realize that you have to decide for yourself if you believe that the resurrection of Christ is true. Each of us have to decide for ourselves what we believe about Jesus and what we believe about his resurrection. Number two, if needed, carefully examine the evidence in... (coughs) If needed, carefully examine the evidence in support of the resurrection. And people, the evidence is abounding. It is more than I just had opportunity to present this morning. And then last of all, if you decide, or have already decided, to believe in the resurrection of Jesus, live for him. Live for him. Share him. The, resurrected, the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, ends with these words, In verse number 58. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and steady, always enthusiastic about the Lord's work. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so very much for your son. We thank you for his willingness to come here and to live among us. We thank you for his willingness to go to the cross and die for our sins that we might be forgiven. And we thank you so much, especially today, that you and your power raised him from the dead. And so because he was victorious over sin and death, we can have victory over sin and death. And I pray that for each individual that's listening that they'll believe in the resurrection, that they'll believe in Jesus, and that they'll have a personal relationship with him that will take them throughout this life and on to an eternity with him in heaven. God, I pray you're working in our lives right now. Work in us that you might work through us to make a difference in your name. We give you praise for Jesus today, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to thank you so much for listening this morning. I do want to invite you uh, to come and share with us at the Paxton Church of Christ, maybe especially next Sunday. Uh, It's going to be my final Sunday at the Paxton Church of Christ. And we've got a a special celebration. We're going to have an open house in in the afternoon next Sunday from about 1.30 to 3 o'clock uh, just in appreciation for our years of ministry here. And we're looking forward to that. And hopefully the congregation's looking forward to that. And so uh, come for worship. <laughs> Matter of fact, we're having a cookout. Stay for the cookout and stay for the, the, the celebration in the afternoon. Uh, we'll be glad to have you. We'll be here also next Sunday. If you listen on the radio, we'll share with you again next Sunday. We pray God's blessing upon you in the week ahead. Hopefully next week I'll sound a little bit better than I I do today. Uh, God's blessing upon your life.